1: featured show. Today, first up, Thanksgiving, DraftKings picks with Joe Holka, and then later on, me by myself, breaking down the best pickups of the week for season long, all of the injuries from Week 11 in the running back shares, plus a look ahead to the fantasy playoffs just a little bit. Hit the time codes if you don't care about DraftKings and want to fast forward through that. This show is brought to you by DraftKings, by the way, so play on DraftKings if you're going to play DFS, or bet, use DraftKingsSportsBook.com. did want to let everyone know to please, uh, it's Thanksgiving week, and I'm thankful for all of you who are listening out there, but there's a few things you could do for me if you got, like, five minutes. Actually, if you have, like, one minute, it would probably take less than that anyway. If you're listening on your iPhone, just scroll down to the bottom, rate the show five stars. All that stuff is the currency that we deal with, and if you could leave a review, even if it's like, I like the show, five stars, that's good enough. Um, that would be awesome to help us boost up the rankings. we got a lot of shows coming at you this week, so even if you're out there and you don't care so much about DraftKings and only the betting stuff, or only DraftKings and season long, but not the betting stuff, just download the shows anyway if you're on your Wi-Fi. Don't use your data if you don't have unlimited, but if you're on your Wi-Fi, help us out here. We're going to have two spread pick shows this week, two DraftKings shows uh, to really divvy everything up for the Thanksgiving slate so we'll have fresh content for you. As a Kened Jen, I am not celebrating Thanksgiving so I have an awful lot of time to do content this week while others do not. That's the promise that I guarantee from the Pat Mayo experience. So please rate and review the show. Uh, FDNDaily.com Code mayo, if you want to get in on the draft king slate, you know, the optimizer, the projections, the ownership projections, Joe and I talk about all that stuff is so important this week on such a small slate. But that's enough for me. Like I said, um, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Hopefully, wherever you are, uh, you can do it safely uh, if you're getting together with the family. I mean, stay safe, don't get anyone sick. That sounds like a great time. We weren't able to do that up here for our Thanksgiving. So, uh, like I said, we can do some extra content for you to help you kill the time because you have to do it by yourself or over Zoom. Then we're going to do that for you, okay? Enjoy the show.
0: Pat Mayo Pat Mayo Pat Mayo experience. Experience.
1: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings Week 12, Thanksgiving. DraftKings picks my single favorite slate. Of the entire year, there's a Millionaire Maker up on DraftKings in the lobby right now. The Listener's League link for this week is still for the Sunday main slate only, so you can find that in the description of this video and podcast. If it has been given to me by the time this comes out, there's always a chance that it's not. Then I'll put to be added, and once I get it, I will add it in. So check back for that. Refresh your app to get yourself going. Remember to smash the like button for the video, and in the comment section of the video, please tell me who your sleeper play, your cheap play is for the DraftKings. Thanksgiving Day Slate. We will have a full Main Slate DraftKings show later in the week. We will also have a Thanksgiving-only spread pick show, plus uh, a spread pick show for the majority of the week. So a lot of content from Mayo Media Network coming out this week. Remember to subscribe to Mayo Media Network. Takes three seconds. Uh, It would really help me out if you would do that. And if you're listening to the podcast, rate and review as always along with smashing that like button. You can find the cheat sheet up on DKPlaybook.com on Wednesday if you're looking for that. Let's just jump right into it, though. We have, oh no, actually, let's not jump right into it because I do have a giveaway for people. I have 20 tickets to give away for the Thursday Thanksgiving DraftKings $20 contest. You can find those and the giveaway coming out sometime, let's say noon on Tuesday at the PME on Twitter. So you have to be following me on Twitter, obviously. Uh, And then around noon, Eastern Time on Tuesday. I will have the giveaway details up there, so you can enter that if you see if you can get a free ticket. into, I'm ineligible. I just give all 20 to myself. But I'm not allowed to do that, apparently. So got to give it to you people out there. You good people could get yourselves a shot for a free entry into the Thursday Thanksgiving Millionaire Maker. Let's bring him in from linemovement.com and The Joe Holka Show. It's Joe Holka. What's going on, man? You're the co-founder and chief content officer over at Line Movement. You've been doing an incredible job as an upstart so far. So we haven't talked in ages. I want to congratulate you on that. It's very impressive.
2: I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it feels like a while since we, we've done this. It's a very official title, uh, so I hope that I, I've definitely uh, been able to provide enough value to, to deserve it, but I think things have been going uh, really well so far. Uh, we've got a lot going on at Live Movement, obviously a ton of MMA stuff, NHL stuff, and then during the football season, obviously football is king, right? So I got my own streams going on throughout the week on Mondays and Wednesdays at 3 p.m. The Sunday morning show uh, is a little bit earlier at 9am uh, but we have a bunch of stuff usually there's a line movement show directly after my stream so it works out really well man it's been exciting to work with a public company it's been exciting to work with blitzbet.eu uh, and it's been uh, it's been a process overall but during football season man uh, you know as good as anyone we just kind of kind of put our head down and uh, push through it man this is an awesome slate though thanksgiving This is one of the best slates of the year, so happy to be here for it.
1: You can find the link to both YouTube channels in the description of this video. If you want to go check out Joe and all the contributors' work over at the Joel Holka page and the line movement page, too. I want to start with small slate strategy. We kind of touch on this every single time that a small slate comes up, but in football, it's the playoffs and it's essentially Thanksgiving, are the two small slates. We got three games. Six teams to choose from when it comes down to it. Uh, The most success that I've had on Thanksgiving uh, was a few years ago. Now, wherever the Theo Riddick game was. Uh, Other than that, I've been just a disaster on Thanksgiving. Love playing it, though, because it's just fun to have something to root for all day. And there are showdown contests on DraftKings you can go to as well. But David Jones will have a video on that for us coming out probably on Wednesday, I'm guessing, maybe even Tuesday evening because it's a you know get-everything-done-early-in-the-week kind of thing so people can go enjoy their vacations. As a Canadian, I'm just going to be in the studio. So if you need anything from me, I'm going to be here, viewers. So you can go enjoy your holidays if you're allowed to in your state and just know that Pat Mayo is going to be chained to his desk and he has nothing else to do. So this is what he's going to be talking about. But six teams on this slate. I think stacking the early game, if it makes sense, is the move. That's where you want to take your chance on sleepers your low own guys hope to hit big and then with the salary left over you can pivot on to chalk the rest of the way through where it doesn't really work that way going down the slate where if you play the chalky guys early on or you have chalky guys later on you're already way behind the eight ball that chalk's going to do you no good once by the time the Baltimore and Pittsburgh game hits
2: yeah, this is the type of slate and especially basically you could look like you said, playoff weeks, Thanksgiving weeks. You have to think of these slates as if this is game number 1, game number 2 and game number 3 because that's all that matters. We have a little bit more time to do late swaps during the, this type of slate overall, which is really helpful obviously. So I think that you kind of said it. There's a couple different ways you can do it. Play a little bit of chalk early and if that hits, you can continue to play what you think are some of the best plays. But also, I think the best way to do it is just to kind of take some chances early on. So in flops you can just get a little bit weird the rest of the way, and you can still make up ground. But if you end up hitting on some of those sleepers early, that's what really sets you apart the rest of the way typically. And one of my biggest hits ever was on a playoff week. So we talk about the, the Minneapolis miracle. I'm from I'm not from Minneapolis, but I live in Minneapolis now. So that Stefan Diggs catch was just absolutely huge for me uh, on that slate. But the biggest thing that I always think about was that it wasn't a team that I originally had. I ended up sacking up the Pittsburgh offense against the elite at the time. Jacksonville defense at like sub 10% ownership because I missed on a couple of my sleepers along the way. So I had like a really couple cheap wide receiver plays, I think, in the first game of that playoff slate. Maybe one of them I think did okay. The other one completely flopped. So I ended up just moving that team completely to the lowest owned game stack uh, and then had digs basically left on game number four. So I like to think about it as uh, which game is which and the order, not necessarily which one is going to be the most popular, I guess, at times.
1: What's it like winning all that money? and being live at the game where it happens?
2: Yeah, I should put the video up on Twitter again because it was probably one of the crazier things that's ever happened to me. Stefan Diggs literally runs in the end zone that I was sitting in, basically. So uh, the live sweats normally don't work out. Uh, I guess if you've ever been to a live event, you just go a little bit heavier on the showdown, whatever it is. This is like one of the few times where I've uh, I've had a huge hit, was there for it. Like the the atmosphere in that building, obviously we haven't had fans in so long. It feels like, years ago at this time that we even had Uh, I live right across the street from the stadium so normally there's like a lot of tailgating and stuff going on yesterday I was talking to my girlfriend about it like there's a game happening across the street still just looks like a ghost town out there which is crazy but uh, yeah that touchdown uh, was one of the cooler things that I've ever been a part of definitely in DFS for sure. So once again
1: it's I really try to hammer this home when we think about the order of the slates. The reason to do that is because we jump into this week and even ownership projections for the week. And you can find all ownership projections, player projections, use the optimizer, all at ftndaily.com. If you really want to take this slate seriously, play multiple lineups, really get the research in. The cornerback shadow index is in there as well. Use code MAO, get yourself a discount. It's already highly discounted because we're into week 12 of the season. You can't be charged a full price for this shit. So with you know, less than half the season left, you get that plus the playoffs if you've never thought about doing it i do highly recommend ftndaily.com there's a lot of free tools up there as well you can find those in the description of the video and podcast too if you just want to test it out maybe those are good enough for you, you want to get more seriously like i said use code mayo get an extra discount on top of the discount at ftndaily.com but just the information of what happens in each game can really, like you said, point you to the proper late swaps and everything like that. I know some people be like, well, just give me the best players. Like, that's, that's fine. And if you're playing in a 100-person contest or you're playing a double-up or a head-to-head, that makes perfect sense. I mean, even in a head-to-head, you could probably figure, it, figure out going in late swap, too, if you're way behind in some sort of circumstance. But then you at least know what you need to do in the later games if you actually want to catch up and have a chance to win. Like, I don't think that people value that information enough.
2: Yeah, I mean, you said it, and you had the perfect guest on, I believe, last week or the week before. Uh, Michael Leone is someone that I've been uh, working alongside a lot this year as well. We have a show on Sunday night at 6:30 p.m. on Line Movements Channel called The Tilt Space, where we go through all of our high-stakes lineups on DraftKings. I honestly think Leone is probably the best there is right now at a very specific thing. He plays the smaller field contests on DraftKings. He's very contrarian. So uh, we have to evolve. Like you said, it's not about finding the best plays. It's not that hard to find the best plays in most weeks. Typically, it's how do we beat others at this point of where the, the DFS meta is at this point. So uh, I'm with you that we have to figure out different ways to approach things than maybe we used to. Um, I'm evolving as well. I used to be someone that used to just jam in all the running backs uh, at the high end and just kind of figure it out from there. Uh, I've evolved a little bit. I'm trying different things now. Leone definitely been a big part of uh, trying to be a little bit more contrarian with stacks in particular, but just I've always been super aggressive with late swaps, uh, but Getting a little bit further away from the optimal wasn't uh, wasn't easy for me in the beginning, for sure. Well, let's should we do this game by game or position
3: by
1: position? Because I think if we we're trying to identify sleepers, maybe we should talk about the first game first, and then see if there's anyone from that set where we can go through. Because if you look at the running back pricing overall, it's like Zeke and Swift and Connor and Gibson, like you know who the guys at the top are going to be. But from the Detroit and Houston game in particular, uh, we're going to figure out the injury report in just a little bit. But it doesn't seem like we're going to have Kenny Stills or David Johnson's definitely going to be out and Randall Cobb appears like he's going to be out. Does that mean someone like Kiki Cutie ends up on the list at $3,400 just knowing that he's going to be on the field from the Houston side of the ball, probably don't want to play Duke Johnson. And then we think about like cheap receivers, like cutie at 3,400 is a really good spot. And there's other guys from different games we can do. Marvin Hall, if we're missing, anyway, we need to see the Detroit injury report, but you'll have Galladay and Amidola who may or may not play. They both missed week 12. This is a short turnaround. So then you have Marvin Hall at $3,900. Um, if DeAndre Swift doesn't play, you'll have both Adrian Peterson and Carrion Johnson who could potentially be like lower owned guys in this game. I have a feeling that Cutie will be the one that people will not want to go to. They might try to parse out who the tight ends to play on Houston are, but I think that was a very game plan specific thing against the Patriots last week to really get Jordan Akins and Darren Fells involved that I think Cutie might be the one that you need to do at the bottom end here from this game.
2: Yeah, this game overall is an interesting first game to, I guess, uh, attack because neither one of these defensive lines really pressure a ton anyway. So I think both these quarterbacks are going to have a decent amount of time. But in theory, you'd want to attack both of these teams on the ground, which doesn't really fit seamlessly for Houston or Detroit on the offensive side of the ball. So that's kind of interesting. Houston, eighth fastest neutral pace. uh, Detroit kind of middle of the pack in that regard. In terms of some of the cheaper guys, I agree with you that maybe the Aikens kind of six target blow up last week was maybe a little bit more game independent there, but it's a spot where I don't mind going back to Duke Johnson and Duke Johnson is not someone Duke that jo- I've really oh, come uh, been on on, Duke, Duke Johnson
1: that? reeks. He's bad.
2: He's not good, but he is getting volume. And this is probably one of the better uh, spots he's been in. I guess over the last two games, only 13.5 touches. People are really upset, but he did touch the ball 20 times in week nine. He's 5,700. I don't know if there's going to be some elite running backs on this slate. Overall, I think I might change my tune a little bit if we get Swift in this game. Uh, Swift is someone that, thankfully, I was on early this year and caught the blow-up spot overall. But the Texans um, are 32nd in DVOA against the run. The Lions uh, are very bad against the run as well. No team has faced a higher opponent rush play rate than the Lions this year. So I am the furthest thing from a Duke Johnson person. I'm not really like a, a proponent of him in the passing game because I don't think Watson really checks it down enough. Um, but I do think the price point might be right. If he ends up touching the ball around 15 uh, times, uh, I, I think that the cheaper like wide receivers in this game, Arvin Hall at 3,900 is at least interesting. Um, he's the one uh, still uh, 0.24 market share of air yards over the last four games is reasonable for a guy at 3,900 for sure. We'll see if we have a condensed target share just because of their injuries in general. Um, the other side, I feel like Randall Cobb just buries me every single time I play, every time I play a Watson stack, it ends up being these weird touchdowns that are scored. Like Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller, 6,400, 5,300. These guys are probably still way underpriced. I would expect Cooks to be really popular. 0. 0.65 weighted opportunity. Only Terry McLaurin on this slate has a higher market share of air yards there. So um, I, I'm interested in the passing game. The, the It doesn't really fit seamlessly together. I think the play here, Pat, might be just to play Watson naked just because this is a spot, again, we saw last week, him get on track a little bit, but we can see that these defenses that play a lot of man coverage. We talk about this a lot for running quarterbacks. No team in the league plays more man coverage than the Patriots. Watson scores on the ground has a decent game on the ground. I think that if we're just going to look at this spot, who plays uh, more man coverage than any team besides the Patriots it's Detroit. So I think that Watson could have a nice spot on the ground here. Um, I don't know if this is a spot where I really want to go, for explosive plays from these wide receivers because burning these wide receiver slots in the first game is something that is a little bit hard to do if it's going to be a chalkier player, in my opinion. But maybe Watson naked to start with uh, just finding another piece on the other side of this. I think there's a chance that maybe there's not as many plays in this game overall as maybe you would think because I think both teams should, in theory, be running the ball a little bit more.
1: I would expect DeAndre Swift to be back here that he was put late on into concussion protocol. That's why he couldn't go on Sunday. It is a quick turnaround, but if he can clear it, it sounds like he's going to be good to go. So I think he's a must play if he's in. He's probably the best running back play on the slate. Uh, and he's not the most expensive, which makes it even nicer. Uh, and like you mentioned, the Texans are just brutal against the ground. He's going to get involved in the passing game. So, just insert him at $6,500 into your lineup. I think that's easy enough. Let's say he sits. I would actually prefer Peterson over Carry-on Johnson in this game, despite on Johnson receiving 70% of the snap share last week against Carolina. That felt really game flow dependent, where they want to use him in the passing game. They don't like Adrian Peterson in the passing game. But if we look at the spread for this game, it's with In three points, the Texans cannot stop anyone on the ground. That it does seem like a spot to turn back to Adrian Peterson because he still out carried carry on in the game. If they're going to have work on the ground and have it good to go, it's probably going to be him. I don't think that anyone will use. Well, people will use him. Everyone's going to be used on this slate. We only have so many players, but I don't think there's going to be a high concentration of ownership on Adrian Peterson. And in a slate this small, if he does receive the goal line touches, if they actually appear in this game and they actually score a point, which would be nice. Detroit, come on here, that all of a sudden that he could be somewhat of a slate breaker and someone who could score two touchdowns, which is almost inconceivable for most of the players on this slate.
2: Yeah, I think that's going to be an ownership thing. We are seeing some sharp action come in on Detroit so far early on in the week. Uh, But yeah, it's interesting because if they do want to attack this defense, that's where they should do it. The problem still, it always comes back to Matt Patricia, like just even back to their days with, with Belichick. They always want to be at least unpredictable with their running backs. I think what Patricia kind of missed the boat on, though, is the Patriots always had these very specific skill sets to where that made a little bit more sense. Carry on Peterson last week on, touches the ball six times on the ground as five targets. Peterson, seven rush attempts, one target. I don't know. I'm more on the side of maybe we just fade both of these guys, but I get it. If you get AP at 4,700 and he ends up being sub 5%, sub 10%, and he scores a touchdown, might be all you need. It just feels like maybe a risk that I wouldn't want to take in the first game.
1: I just don't know who else on this slate at running back I could use that's cheaper. Maybe you gamble on like Tony Pollard, but do I want to take it? A- Maybe you do gamble on Tony Pollard instead of someone like Adrian Peterson who switches it. But if Swift plays, you're playing Swift, right?
2: Yeah, oh, absolutely. I I, Like I said, I'm a big fan of Swift. Like just in general, I think they finally figured out that if there's going to be any identity in that running game, it's going to come through Swift. It's not going to come through carry on or Adrian Peterson. I I think I would have a harder time playing AP or carry on over like McKissick at 5,100. The price is so close that I think that he would be the guy on the cheaper side that might make some sense. Maybe you take a shot on one of the Baltimore running backs. But I agree with you. Running back is very thin on this slate overall. So uh, maybe that does make sense to just try and grab a touchdown from one of these Detroit guys. So
1: if we live in a world where Galladay and Amendola end up playing, do you think that is a situation you'd want to get involved with? Obviously Galladay would become the best receiver on the lions. He'd be, One of the best receivers on the slate, to be perfectly honest with you. But then you have Amendola, who can kind of chuck in a decent PPR performance. I don't really know what to do with them. Marvin Jones just seems to be good whenever Galladay is in place. You could probably play him. The one I was looking for, though, almost like QT on the Texan side of the ball, if you wanted a low ownership, cheap gamble on that side, you could go to the other side of the coin where people will be infatuated with Marvin Hall and the air air yards that he presents. But Jamal Agnew actually saw six targets in that game against Carolina he can be used out of the backfield as well and when you look at the overall snap share he played 50 percent of the snaps at wide receiver he gets involved on special teams as well so maybe you can sneak a score in that way i think that at the min three thousand dollars that if we're talking about guys that can open up the slate for you both due to pricing and someone that no one's going to own that could end up scoring a touchdown he feels like he could be one of those guys
2: yeah taking shots on these wide receivers that seem really thin that like you said even if it doesn't work out then it's really not that big a deal you can just pivot to a different type of game stack that's lower owned along the way but if you happen to back in to a touchdown from one of these guys at sub five percent that's just very cheap I think it makes a lot of sense I think it makes sense to go after tight ends in these games for for the same reason just because the position as a whole is just not one that's very predictable so if you end up grabbing that Aikens game at 2,900 this week where he ends up scoring. I think that makes a ton of sense overall. Kenny Galladay is interesting from a game theory perspective because I think most people just don't want to go after these wide receivers that are coming off of an injury. But a lot of times, like, it's still, if they're coming back, they're in a decent enough spot to where it's worth the ownership gamble, in my opinion. So Kenny Galladay in the last four games that he's played, .45 weighted opportunity, that's like top five on this slate. So I still think that he's in play at 6K. He's not very cheap, that's for sure. Uh, But I think that the risk in tournaments might make some sense as a one-off overall. I'm definitely more uh, on the Galladay side than the Marvin Jones side, but I don't know. I just never end up playing Marvin Jones for some reason. I have some weird biases there. Hawkinson, I thought was in for a decent game last week, uh, but still uh, didn't quite get there for us. But man, tight end has been just a joke this year. What what have you been doing at tight end, Pat? I've just been correlating mostly with my quarterbacks at this point.
1: I've just been playing Logan Thomas or Hawkinson every week.
2: Yeah, and, and Hawkinson,
1: like Hawkinson's week last week, although like not slate breaking, still wasn't bad. He scored what eleven DraftKings points. It was way better than most eight time seven hands.
2: targets. Yeah, I mean you can't be that complain. You can't complain with that. For
1: That's whatever reason, cool. he only played like sixty six percent of the snaps against Carolina, which in a pure passing situation, I just found to be really odd. What about the defenses in this game? I actually thought Houston's defense did a pretty good job in getting into the backfield and hassling Cam Newton. And Matt Stafford was just sacked five times by. Carolina who generates zero pressure whatsoever
2: my concern would be that I don't think the pass volume might be there from this game and I don't think there's like a big disadvantage D line versus O line on either side but what, what's the price on Detroit overall I'm looking at it right now 2200 yeah so if you're gonna literally that that slate that I was talking about with the Stefan Diggs catch I think I had like the 2100 defense with like Tennessee it was like it was the first game And basically, I think they took a zero even. And if you're playing smaller field tournaments, it always comes back to field size of your tournament, in my opinion, like what types of roster construction, what types of chances you should be taking. So, yeah, if you're playing something smaller, just jamming in one of these cheaper defenses, you never know. Maybe you back into a touchdown from Detroit or maybe you back into something on the Houston side of the ball with uh, with Matt Stafford slinging it back there with a hurt hand
1: well if you do go with the lions i would suggest using agnew in one of your wide receiver slots as well and just remember that to leave your flex spot open for the latest games possible uh, you want to have someone from either the later game or if you're not using any of the later game which you know with the two best offenses you think you would do that but just remember to leave the flex spot open that you can pivot and change up your plays a little bit for the late swap utilizing the flex is hugely important for that so you'd use agnew at three thousand for a wide receiver spot and then use the detroit defense at 2100 then you can essentially afford anyone else you want on the slate the only reason I say that is and only use Agnew if Galladay and Amendola are out that seems to be the only way that he's getting any run here but he returns punts for them and returns kicks for them so if you can somehow double dip there if he scores a punt return touchdown you get double the points it is a very probably less than 0.5 percent outcome of happening but on these weird slates you need something like that to go into your favor
2: yeah, he's probably going to be a guy that's uh, like not popular at all in showdown either. And like you need these like weird guys that maybe are just going to be out there for like 25 to 40% of the snaps that just get there on just like their price alone. Cause you need to open up the slate for some of these studs that we'll get to in some of these other games. But this first game, you got to really approach it one of two ways. I think you just have to take some shots on some of these guys that are going to be super low owned. If it doesn't work out, doesn't matter. If it does, you're way ahead and you can just kind of build from there optimally
1: the the crazy part about a slate like this i think that leaving money on the table is probably a good idea not as much Absolutely. not like thousands of dollars but at the same time i just talked about a $2100 defense and a $3000 receiver cutie is only $3400 and if stills and cobb sit like i mentioned that i think that he's going to be very much in play here or one of the cheap tight ends that you talk about that it's not just pay down at every single position i just think that paying down in the first game makes a whole lot of sense cuz you can actually then late swap onto anyone you want uh, at the that point too if things do work out into your favor if you have to swap on to like the chalky running but whether it's zeke whether it's connor whether it's playing lamar at quarterback you can do that so who would you think that even from the expensive end are the must plays from this game like is deshaun the must play quarterback
2: I love Deshaun. I think that he's the one that I'd be going after. I think Brandon Cooks is way too cheap. So those are the guys that if you did want to be on the passing game from either side, that, that I would probably lean towards. I think that if you did kind of want to just give yourself a little bit more flexibility, then yeah, maybe you just play Watson and you're betting on him just being the highest uh, scoring quarterback on this slate, which could definitely happen. We have literally two games where both of these teams in them are just under 500. There's not some uh, slate breakers, maybe. It might be a lower scoring type of slate overall, which is obviously really beneficial for a quarterback that's going to give you the rushing equity that Watson does.
1: And from the Detroit side, I guess Swift would be a must play if he plays. Could you do Stafford here? Because Stafford could be the lowest owned quarterback on the slate.
2: I think Stafford's reasonable, especially in this spot where he's just not going to see much pressure at all. If this game does end up being a little bit more up tempo, so like the way that like they get away from running on both sides of the ball is if there ends up being uh, some fast scores on the other side. So one thing that I talked about with Derrick Henry last week with uh, certain stacks is that it makes a lot of sense for these guys that can score quickly. So Will Fuller, those type of plays, it really helps on the other side of the ball as well because if they're scoring quickly in Houston, the pace is just going to be faster overall, which obviously benefits stafford so i think that if i was going to be playing stafford i would be betting on this game being high tempo overall i don't know if i would just play like a skinny stack with stafford and one guy i think i would be stacking him with multiple weapons because he doesn't give us anything on the ground but also uh, i think it's pretty necessary to have something coming back someone like a will fuller that would just make this game speed up in general Washington at Dallas is the middle game. Uh, Can I talk you
1: into a a football stack? Alex Smith, Logan Thomas, maybe some Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin only needs, I think it's 128 yards to become the first 1,000-yard receiver so far this year. Remember when people were like panicky about Terry McLaurin because... He was putting up great fantasy performances every single week. They just weren't 40-point games. They were 17-point games. Turns out he just does that every single week, regardless of what happens. Had a very good game against Dallas the first time around. Uh, And although Alex Smith can't really stretch the field, I think this offense is super interesting because you have a lot of cheap guys outside of McLaurin that you can go to. If this is the game where you wanted to save money or if you were looking for a team to save money on to take individual studs from the other pieces, that Washington's offense really really fits that well. It's just, it's really hard to spin the roulette wheel and get it to land on what you want.
2: This is my favorite game by far, Pat, of the three. So like when we talk about giving some flexibility after game number one, depending on where you're at, it might give you the ability to kind of take some shots on the Cowboys passing game, which I'll get to in a second. But yeah, on the Washington side. It's just such a condensed target share overall with McLaurin and Logan Thomas, like you mentioned. So it always feels good to get both of those guys in or either of those guys in because you're, you're feeling pretty safe about their volume overall. Terry McLaurin, seven targets again last week. People are panicking when they know that they would just work. I guess Alex Smith coming in, is it that much of a downgrade, upgrade? I have no idea. But he's been a guy that his talent has just allowed uh, still just him to be a very relevant fantasy asset, 0.63 weighted opportunity over the last four Leads the slate. like That's just the one thing that I always look at at wide receiver because it's the most predictive by far. He's expensive, 7K. There were times where we were getting Terry McLaurin at like five, five nine, six two, something like that. But I think it's worth it to take some shots on McLaurin. Uh, I like mini stacks from this game. I don't know if I'm really in love with either quarterback. But the one thing that's nice about this being the second game is the Cowboys passing game has been so spread out. No player over 20% target share in the Dalton games this year to where if you do have some McLaren teams or some Logan Thomas teams, you can bring it back and take a shot on a Michael Gallup, take a shot on a CD lamb. And if you back in to the touchdowns from the Cowboys passing game, somehow you're in a better spot moving forward on the slate. So I, I want to keep some spots open for this game for sure, just to make sure I can kind of cover some bases on the, the Cowboys passing game side of things. Uh, one of the things that I think is going to be the, the most popular play in this game is going to be the Washington defense against Dallas. Dallas's offensive line probably bottom five, bottom six in the league, Washington D line top five for sure. I think there's going to be some pace overall in this game. There's going to be some pass attempts. So uh, love the Washington defense in this spot, some sharp action coming in on Dallas so far, which is interesting. 74% of the money, obviously early in the week. Uh, So I think that this is one that I'm super excited about. Dallas plays the second fastest neutral pace this year. Zeke, like quietly 23, 20, 20 touches over his last three games. So if they end up using uh zeke a little bit more it's going to be kind of to try and defend against that pass rush for washington so there's a ton of different layers to this game overall but i'm super into it
1: so if you want to check out the offensive line and defensive line free tools you can find those in the description they're up at ftn daily and ftnfantasy.com just looking at the slate in terms of adjusted sack rate for offensive lines um we have Pittsburgh, who gives up a ton of sacks. We have Houston, who gives up a ton of sacks. And then after that, Washington is actually slightly ahead of Dallas in giving up sacks so far this season. I don't think that the Dallas defense is going to be overly popular so i think that they could be well they're not good by any means you're hoping to luck into something here and the best way to do that to separate yourself in one of these giant fields is going to be getting away from the chalk defense like i objectively pittsburgh baltimore and washington are the three defenses you probably should play on this site, but those are the three defenses that everyone is going to own maybe you have to take a shot and hope to get lucky with something else uh the zeke part of this game there are just so many pieces of this game in particular that I don't really know what to do with. Like, at the running back position, people are going to lock in Zeke, especially if Swift is out. Is this a good matchup for Zeke? It doesn't seem like it.
2: Yeah, I don't really pay attention a ton to matchup uh, at running back. I care more about the touches. He's 6,800. He's touched the ball over 20 times in three straight games, so I think that's good enough for me. I'm with you. That Dallas' defense is interesting because on a slate like this, obviously only three games – Getting that defense at low ownership that ends up breaking the slate, that's how you get to the top of tournaments, right? So fading the Washington defense definitely makes sense because I think they're going to be the chalk. I'm just I'm a little bit normally, I guess I'm more interested in finding these like these games. I know exactly where the ball is going to go, but this is one that it being the second game. I love that because we've already gotten some information from game number one. Game number two, it allows us to take some shots of some of these pieces that we're not exactly sure, but still have a ton of upside overall. We know that the game environment should be very strong. So the, I think that the order of these games is super intriguing. Uh, we could even, we haven't even talked about Gibson yet. Gibson's the one that's been touching the ball a ton as well 17 touches in back to back games. He's 6K. So if we don't get swift, like you said, I think Gibson's going to be super popular as well. Logan Thomas, still too cheap. Like it's just so condensed over there. And it's spread out on the Dallas side. So it just makes for a really interesting stacking position because you know if you're ahead or you're behind after game one, you just play the lowest owned uh, Cowboys guy. If you feel like you're behind, maybe you take a shot on one of the ones that's a little bit more high around if you feel like you had a good game one.
1: If you are looking for low-end plays, two contrarian strategies I think you could do here is play both Gibson and McKissick together because their points seem to be relatively unaffected. Like, you need Gibson to score touchdowns. You need JD McKissick to be the checkdown master and end up with, like, nine catches. They can both get there at this salary independent of one another, and I doubt very many people are going to play them together Or just based off Sunday's game, which I found very intriguing. I don't know if this is an injury type of thing or if it's an Alex Smith type of thing, but Cam Sims ran 84% of snap shares. That was only behind McLaurin's who was 92. Like McLaurin is the lock from this game that if you're looking for the safe, Chalk, expensive player, it's Terry McLaurin. Just play him, he's going to be good. But after that, Cam Sims is $3,300. It was Steve Sims who caught the touchdown, but at the same time, when you look at the actual target share of how that was separated, it was two for Cam Sims, caught both of his passes, and Steve Sims Sims caught all three of his targets. 13 yards, 20 yards, not really doing much, but being on the field 86% of the time for Cam Sims, I do think is a good indicator button that he's going to be out there and that's kind of all you really want against Dallas's defense is the guys who are on the field if he's on the field like I said over 85% of the time at $3,300 he is a piece of just no one's going to use from this
2: I like it. Uh, he's got a 0.19 market share air yards over the last four. So, at least, yeah, if he's getting targeted, hopefully it's a deeper targets. So this is what we want from some of these, I guess, thinner plays down there. So, I'm into that. I agree with you that McKissick and Gibson together is super interesting. If you just look at the correlation between Terry McLaurin, McKissick, and, uh, and Gibson in general, all three of them are uh, above a 0.3 correlation so it's not like it's a direct negative one I think it's because this offense as a whole is just so condensed overall so I'm into that I think that just capturing the pass catching upside and also probably the touchdown upside from Gibson on this slate in particular with not much running back equity overall makes a ton of sense
1: anything more on this game if you had to rank the Dallas receivers just regard like throw out price just one two three it would be what Cooper Lamb and then like, is this the one where you can use like Cedric Wilson or is that only a Dak Prescott type of thing <laughs>
2: I think that might've been a Dak Prescott thing. I think anytime we see a pass rush in this type of situation for Washington on the other side, I'm just going to skew towards the guys that I think are going to have the lower ADOT. So I like CD Lamb the best, followed by Amari Cooper, followed by Gallup. But I would imagine that ownership is probably going to be pretty similar. So maybe Gallup ends up being a play that you move to if you're behind and you just hope you luck into a deep shot. Um, but I think that CD Lamb, that guy, like I- I've been lucky to be on him uh, a decent amount this year. He is just a straight baller. These I guess these rookie wide receivers in general, but uh, I think CD lamb uh, still underpriced in this spot relative to his opportunity. Uh,
1: another one too, that if you did want to use Dallas's defense, correlating that with CD lamb, who returns punts for them, almost got away from one in the Minnesota game. That I think that's one where you could try to, it's not like lamb doesn't do anything outside of his punt returning. Kind of like, like with Agnew, where he's getting a bit more involvement. You can try to double dip that way. Lamb makes more sense, but you have to play with the shittier defense, which isn't great at the same time. What about Dalton Schultz here? It's probably the best matchup on the site. I know you don't care about matchups, but if you want to attack the Washington defense, their corners are good. Their front seven is good, but they are susceptible on the inside up the seams and they're easy passes for Andy Dalton to complete. He looks for Dalton Schultz in the red zone. He's still running an incredible amount of snaps in this offense and it doesn't feel like people will want, he's in this weird like wedge pricing where, well, I could just pay down for Logan Thomas. He's $300 cheaper. Or why wouldn't I just pay up for one of the good guys? He feels like an in-between player at this price point. He's too expensive where you don't feel like you're saving money with him, but he's actually not expensive in the slightest. He's only 3,800 bucks.
2: I think you said it. He's the pivot off of Logan Thomas. I think pretty clearly because the the targets were there last week. He's still not seeing the volume that Logan Thomas's, but six targets for Dalton Schultz, a uh, decent matchup, 19% Target share. Normally you want to target these tight ends with a high team total overall, but if there's like a a spot in the defense where you might see a little bit more volume, I I could be in on that. You can basically talk me into about six tight ends on this slate because there's six games. I I just, I don't think it really matters a ton. So if if you think that Logan Thomas is going to be like 35% in your contest and you feel like you're behind, yeah, just play Dalton Schultz. No brainer.
1: Yeah, once again, ftndaily.com. You'll be able to find the ownership projections on Wednesday and update it again on Thursday morning. Code Mayo to get yourself that discount, along with all of the other tools, like the projections. Maybe you just want to optimize of what's going on this week and make one pivot off of it. Maybe that's the best way to do it. I've had the most success this year, Joe, of doing that, where just optimizing a lineup and being like, all right, that's a chalky piece, that's a chalky piece. I'll just go to the logical pivot that's not a part of the stack, and all of a sudden I'm like printing cash. And then the next week I'm like, I'm smarter than the computer. I'll figure this out myself donate it all back that's that's my move it's
2: sharp man i just think in general we just think we know so much more than we actually do and if we're just looking at like we need that top five percent top one percent outcome from a lot of these like wide receivers and tight ends in particular to truly get there in a gpp the projection like the median projection just doesn't really tell us the story of like what is the best chance for us to pass people so i'm trying to get a little bit more aggressive as long as you're building correlated type of lineups that make sense from a leverage perspective, having high owned pieces are totally fine, but you just have to be thoughtful about, especially in a slate like this, where you're at game one game two, like we get information the entire way through uh, in between uh, your second and third uh, servings of stuffing. Uh, just make sure you're checking your lineups, doing some late swapping because you have so much more information as the day goes on.
1: Final game, the late game, the hammer game on this slate is Baltimore at Pittsburgh. Last time around, 28-24, so an ample amount of points scored in that game. Ben threw for two TDs, Lamar threw for two TDs, and two picks. Gus Edwards scored a touchdown on the ground. It was a really weird game. Uh, Lamar actually carried the ball 16 times in that game for 65 yards. You talked about playing naked Deshaun Watson in the opener. Obviously, naked Lamar is always an option uh, when he can get away and rush a big one, but... I find that the, it, it's weird that we got these six teams on this. Slide. obviously, we knew we were getting Dallas. We knew we were getting Detroit. But these offenses are so spread out. There's very, like, besides Terry McLaurin in the Washington passing game and, Ze- and Zeke in the Dallas rushing game, and I guess James Conner in the Pittsburgh rushing game, there's no concentration in terms of market share and game to game consistency, anywhere on this site, like we have Des Bryant catching passes for Baltimore. Now that's not great.
2: It's just another reason, Pat to like avoid the chalk on slates like this, because there's good chalk and bad chalk, obviously, but there's still going to be volatility in these ownership projections too. So like, yeah, if, if we don't feel great, especially about like we just talked about how spread out Dallas is and how there's just a mess of some of these backfields overall that you're going to have to adapt as we go. Uh, This being the last game is super interesting. Pittsburgh at 90% of the money so far in terms of betting. Uh, So that's kind of interesting. Uh, The public seems to be completely out on Baltimore. I don't know, Pat. I'm literally at a spot now where I feel like I've just been going back to the well with Lamar Jackson, with Marquise Brown, and it just hasn't really, Uh, benefited us like most of this year. It feels like at some point they turn it around, but they really haven't. I was starting to think that uh, it was a spot where Lamar was starting to play better. He's got like a a 70% completion rate two weeks in a row. And then he drops a 56% completion rate on us last week. Marquise Brown drops a goose egg on us on three targets. So it's a frustrating offense, man. How have you been approaching uh, the Baltimore situation this year? I've definitely invested way too much.
1: Uh, as I mentioned on my waiver wire show earlier on Monday, I actually don't own a single fantasy player on Baltimore this year, nice. which has really served me well because I've just been making the wrong decisions every single week. I tend to go to Mark Andrews. Like I earlier on in the drafting season, I was playing the triple Lamar, Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews. But I think I quit that around like week four. I was like, this just doesn't work. Like this, it, this is not last year. Eventually you need to move on from that. I am getting a breaking news report, Joe. Maybe you can look this up in real time as well that apparently Baltimore might be experiencing a COVID outbreak here. Oh, God.
2: What would they do to this game? Would they just move it off the slate completely?
1: I don't know. And it's not like there's so much money wrapped up in this game. Mm
2: Mm-hmm interesting I don't know I guess while you're you're looking at that I'll I'll, I'll rant a little bit more about this game because I I think that it is kind of an interesting one we talked about Marquise Brown well well, there's uh, all
1: but there's also Juju as well who may or may not play if this game still now goes on a Thursday he slipped on a penalty flag and hurt his toe and now (sighs) Mike Tomlin is not committing to him playing and I don't know if that helps out like actually you know what I'll throw Deontay Johnson into the mix as well as someone who's just going to eat as like one of the lock players on this slate whenever he finishes the game the guy is awesome
2: guy had 16 targets last week. Again, he's 6,200. He's a lot cheaper than Terry McLaurin. Again, his weighted opportunity 0. 0.52. That's super elite on this slate. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Chase Claypool because I'm a sucker for these guys with like these packages around the goal line where he gets rush attempts as well. Uh, Juju's one that just feels the safest just because he's in the slot. He's going to get his like, I still feel like Deontay Johnson and Claypool, like those, those are the alphas in this offense overall. So maybe if Juju's out, it helps things a little bit, condenses this a little bit more. Eric Ebron was really involved last week, seven targets. Uh, it, it's really interesting. I had a ton of Big Ben uh, on some of the smaller slates last week. Uh, too much juju, uh, unfortunately, to get there completely. But, man, uh, it, it's it's condensed. But also, like Leone, who you had on last week, has been talking about and just beating the drum on this Pittsburgh passing game overall just passing at a crazy rate way above their expectation from the beginning of the year probably has a little bit of something to do with uh, how James Conner's been playing imagine but uh, I think it's super interesting that they continue to throw 10 and 0 they're not going to get stopped doing what's made them successful so um, yeah maybe if this game I guess if it does end up happening the Pittsburgh passing game if people are just going to be avoiding it because of this Baltimore defense that's a super interesting, I guess, late night, like mini hammer. I don't know if this is like the late night hammer. It doesn't feel that way, does it? I think that people will
1: gravitate, especially if you say that 90% of the money so far has come in on the Steelers, that I think that people are more bullish on the Steelers than maybe you think, that especially, especially if Juju sits, that it leaves a really interesting stack opportunity with Claypool, with Deontay, with Ben, or even sub in Eric Ebron into that. And if Juju sits, I have to imagine James Washington at $3,000 becomes a very popular play
2: yeah Washington three targets last week he's still seeing the deeper targets though and he's 3k uh, so I can imagine yeah maybe he ends up being a popular type of punt on this slate in particular Um, I have kind of a a little bit of a hard time uh, with some of the Baltimore stuff in this one obviously the Pittsburgh defense super lead the D line number one in the league Baltimore has a below average offensive line which is probably why lamar was running so much last time anyway because they just didn't have time for some of these routes to develop down the field so one of the things that i think is somewhat interesting though if he does get a little bit more protection or just has more time that he can buy for himself the steelers have really struggled against the pass on like the back end of their secondary so like there could be a decent amount of opportunities for the ravens to connect on some of these deeper passes throughout the course of the game so I'll say it, Marquise Brown, 4,700, 12.6 dot over the last four games, just dropped a goose egg. No one wants to play him. I'm probably going to be going back to that well because I think if they get loose for a deep one, that could be the guy that breaks the slate.
1: It makes too much sense. And then it feels like one of those things where we say that no one wants to play Hollywood Brown because mm-hmm. no one does want to play Hollywood Brown. But then everyone's like, well, no one's playing Hollywood Brown. He can break this slate. Then everyone uses Hollywood Brown. He scores zero points. <laughs>
2: I've been there with them. Trust me. I was trying to agonize last week over if I wanted to have the Lamar double stack with Andrews and with uh, Marquise Brown. Unfortunately, I did end up on some Marquise Brown on my Lamar teams. Uh, Andrews was just a slam dunk play last week. He was leading the slate in targets per route run, weighted opportunity, basically everything at a position that's just pretty gross overall. So where do you think that Andrews ownership is going to come in on this slate? He is a little bit more expensive obviously he is 5,200
1: I think that we've run through so many cheap options that you can take pick your poison on that if you're going to do the chalk in the later games that Andrews appear because no one in the backfield is really trustworthy JK Dobbins despite playing 64% of the snaps last week is not trustworthy so then you have someone like Mark Andrews who I mean and we'll see if this game still goes but let's just presume it does for the moment we'll do an update uh, later on in the week if this game doesn't end up happening but I would expect him to be the highest known tight end by a pretty substantial margin.
2: Yeah, that could be, Um, I'm in on that. I think that he'll be as popular just because he got there for people last week. Uh, Like you said, the running game on both sides of the ball, honestly, isn't super intriguing. Uh, One last thing that I did kind of like uh, in favor of the Pittsburgh passing game, Baltimore dead last in red zone, touchdown rate allowed. So maybe it's like an Eric Ebron situation, even where he'd get in the end zone multiple times at the tight end position. If the Steelers can reach the end zone, I think they've got a decent chance to turn some of those plays into touchdowns. I think we, do we have some concerns overall with pace in this game as well? Baltimore really likes to slow things down. uh, The second uh, slowest neutral pace this year. I think that would be, I guess, what could really make this game go sideways. If people think they're going to see fireworks, these divisional unders always seem to be really, uh, I guess, profitable in general. So maybe this game ends up being uh, a little bit gross and you wish you had a little bit more of game number two.
1: Well, I think that you have to think about the best way for this to unfold for the pace to get up. How does the pace get up? It's if Pittsburgh gets up early and then Baltimore has to play catch up. And then you can do Lamar with either Hollywood, Andrews, and Sneed, I guess, would be the other guy that you could potentially mix in. And then you probably want to bring it back with James Conner.
2: Yeah. I mean, let your lineup tell a story as they say. So yeah, I'm on board with that. I think you got to think about uh, what happens if, uh, if that exact scenario, like if they get up big quickly, we talked about this with Houston and uh, new England last week, a lot to where like, if, if new England scores very quickly early on, and they just need Houston to start slinging it on the other side to really speed things up a little bit, pretty similar scenario in this one, I think. Uh, And I think that makes a ton of sense overall.
1: And I know that James Conner hasn't been productive fantasy wise in a while, but he actually looked really good last week. It's just, they didn't, they took him out of the game because they were up by so much. They didn't need him anymore. He got hurt in that Dallas game for a bit, banged up his knee, left for a bit, came back in. That was the game was just disaster overall for Pittsburgh. And he was bad in the Cincinnati game. But again, they got up by so much that they didn't need to rely on them. If you think that this game is going to be close or, you know, he ends up with 20 touches on the ground, like he did last time against Baltimore, if he can get back his goal line touches, he's he see another one to Benny Snell that would be the biggest issue but he was involved in the receiving game he had 16 touches last week and he had 99 yards it's pretty good even though it It wasn't Jacksonville last time out against Baltimore 15 carries for 47 one catch on three targets if he can up that a little bit and get the goal line work back I'm just trying to talk myself into one of these running backs who I know is going to have high usage but everyone will use Zeke over using Connor.
2: Yeah, I think that's the point. Maybe he ends up being a pivot for some teams that are behind. I like the, the uncertainty at the goal line. Like, is, is he even playable? Like, if he ends up being like 25%, I don't no. know if he is. Like, Snell is just taking touchdowns, like you said. Also, like I said, Claypool just has these red zone packages. They try and get hit the ball in his hands on the ground. So, I just think that Connor's too expensive. He's 6,200. He's, he's someone that, yeah, maybe he gets in the end zone finally. And at lower ownership, you're super happy. But if he's one of the guys that gains some steam... As the week goes on, I'll probably be off them.
1: So here's what happened with the COVID situation. The Baltimore Ravens released a statement that just says, late last night, we were informed that multiple members of the Baltimore Ravens organization tested positive for COVID-19, and those individuals immediately began to self-quarantine. We have started the process of contact tracing, and during this time, the Under Armour Performance Center will be closed, with all-team activities conducted virtually. We will continue to work closely and follow the guidance from the NFL team doctors and medical staff. Uh, It's being reported off NFL Network right now, and again, this is, I'll date the show, it's 1.40 p.m. Eastern on Monday afternoon, so a lot of this could change, but as of right now, Thursday's ninth game between the Ravens and Steelers remains on the schedule despite Baltimore announcing member's been tested positive and they're doing contact tracing so do you think that a lack of practice time could directly impact the Ravens here or is that something we've seen not really make that big of a deal
2: Yeah, maybe uh, I was sometimes after a bad game, you just want to kind of get it back out there as quickly as possible. So maybe it hurts Lamar a little bit. Now he's just kind of thinking about it and all that good stuff. Uh, Big Ben, maybe he he just doesn't care. Like we've seen this guy that he can just relax for a bit, take a few weeks off, come back and be totally fine. Uh, So yeah, I think I'd worry more about the Baltimore side of it than anything. Like if this game, like I guess, heaven forbid is canceled or postponed, would they ever like move a game into the Thanksgiving slate? Is that like something that could even happen? Like, like you said, there's just so much money involved with these Thanksgiving weekends that I don't know. Two game slate. That's kind of a bummer.
1: I I don't think that you could move a game from Sunday on to Thursday, just because if it's not done on Monday, if they don't cancel it on Monday and push it back, then I can't imagine like it would just be so unfair to those two teams that you couldn't do sure. it. So I think they'll go out of their way to do as much as possible to make sure that this game goes on Thursday night.
2: I'm with you. Uh, that would be uh, probably very unfair for those teams. But you've seen like some of the the movement get like I guess overall like if it's a 4 p.m. game, they're moved up to the the night game that sort of thing. Uh, moving it uh, forward a couple of days probably something that uh, the players' association would not be too pumped about.
1: I would even think like just beyond the economics involved with it and the potential injury and practice time, because most of the teams that are playing on Sunday aren't even practicing on Monday because they're not trying to practice for a Thursday game. Although Baltimore also can only virtually practice now, so it's not that big of a deal. I'm just thinking about like travel, like the traveling secretaries booking places in those cities where you would probably have to do that so far in advance because of COVID regulations, uh, even in Pennsylvania. Uh, and I guess it wouldn't be in Pennsylvania at this point, unless somehow the Seahawks game got moved up, but regardless of where the state is, you'd have to pick the proper place that had the proper accommodations, uh, put people back into the facility to work during the game, get the TV travel over to a brand new stadium from a different place. I think logistically, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to be able to move up a game that it's just not going to happen. They're going to force this game. To, even if Lamar is one of the people that has to sit out, they're going to make this game go.
2: Yeah, uh, weird times, man. Uh, who knows what's, what's going to happen? Let's just hope we get our three games on Thanksgiving. It's like the one thing I, I look forward to, like uh, we talk about just the grind in general. It's like you get to Thanksgiving, you get this amazing slate, you get to enjoy three straight football games on one day, hang out, play some DFS, get some bets in, all that stuff, and then it's downhill from there the rest of the way. It would be a huge bummer if there's only two games.
1: All right, Let's talk about our three favorite plays on this slate, just objectively, before we get out of here. Is there three guys that you think you could just lock into every lineup and build around them.
2: Yeah. So I think that you said it, I think Swift would probably be one of those guys. If he does end up playing, I think that that's a, an amazing spot against this Texans defense that is just so terrible against the run. Uh, we know that they've been giving him a ton more volume overall and carry on an AP. They just really underperformed last week. So I think that if you wanted to go to Swift at 6,500, you'd be pretty close to a lock at running back. Uh, love Terry McLaurin, of course, that wide receiver, even though he's expensive Probably uh, the most uh, locked in type of wide receiver role outside of maybe Deontay Johnson. But I, I really like uh, the idea of going back to this Houston passing game as kind of uh, if it ends up being a little bit less popular in game number one, Watson to Cooks, Cooks still 0. 0.65 weighted opportunity, only Terry McLaurin leading over the last four games. So I, I love Cooks at 5,300. I think he's way too cheap. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go in on that one. And then, yeah, maybe uh, maybe Marquise Brown breaks the slate as kind of a, I guess, a bonus for you guys. That's a scary one, though.
1: So for me, I think that McLaurin and Swift most definitely are two guys that you should use regardless of ownership. Unless you're really playing, you can find different ways to pivot, but those two guys are just sucking in so much. And I'm going to actually say Deontay Johnson that just continue to play him over and over because if he ever scores touchdowns, all of a sudden he is actually the guy who breaks this line. I'm not too worried about the Baltimore defense and shutting him down in particular. And I actually prefer if Juju plays over Juju Sis because I'll put even more... At least if Juju plays, it cast a shadow of doubt onto the Steelers receiving game in terms of knowing where everything is going to go. So I think that actually helps Deontay Johnson's ownership. Obviously if Juju ends up playing because people will spread it out and allocate their salary cap a little bit more. So those three guys sleeper plays, like I said, Agnew with the Detroit defense, CeeDee Lamb with the Dallas defense. I think both those make some sense as correlated plays. McKissick and Barber, or not Barber. Watch fucking Peyton Barber score like five touchdowns <laughs> here. Good God. You can play Gibson with McKissick if you want to get away from some of that ownership. I just think that's a very unique way to build your lineup. But Cam Sims... Spiru Agnew, or whatever the hell his name is, Jamal Agnew and Kiki Cutie are really the three guys that you can go to. And I would avoid James Washington if Juju sits because he will end up being the popular sleeper. That's the way that I would be tackling this slate.
2: I like it. I think that you kind of made a good point by the, the McKissick play just in general, be different with your rosters this week, but also make sure you leave the most expensive guy in the late game in your flex. You see it even at the higher stakes still, Pat, like there's guys that literally just burn their flex. This is a slate where you can't get away with that because you need to be having the flexibility to play these wide receivers or play these different guys uh, later on. That might be a position that just gives you leverage that you might, might not, uh, I guess, necessarily want to play in the flexes at this point. You get to the second, third game, prices don't matter. It's completely out the window. It's all about what's happened and what the ownership is and how you can gain leverage the rest of the way.
1: All right, that will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience Week 12. Thanksgiving DraftKings picks and preview if there's changes to that Ravens and Steelers game I'll have I have like three shows a day basically coming up until Thanksgiving so I'll I'll update the shows before then I won't update the show but I'll have updated information you'll be able to find my cheat sheet up on dkplaybook.com on Wednesday we got the ranking show the spread show the spread show the other DraftKings show the injury report it's all happening this week on Mayo Media Network and the Pat Mayo Experience so please subscribe to Mayo Media Network on YouTube even if you're an audio listener please go subscribe you have a gmail account i'm pretty sure it takes five seconds could you please do that as a big help and if you are a video watcher and you do have an iphone let's say subscribe to the pat mayo experience audio podcast go leave a five star rating maybe even a review if you feel generous, because that would just be so nice. A Thanksgiving miracle for myself. So I want everyone out there to stay safe, and I also want everyone to go to ftndaily.com and go purchase the uh, premium subscription, Code Mayo, to get yourself a discount, and subscribe to both of Joe's channels, Joe Holka Show and Line Movement. Joe, can you tell everyone what you have on the table coming out here, besides stuffing and some cranberry sauce, and some turkey, content-wise, what do you got this week?
2: Yeah, there's a lot going on. Obviously, about half of my shows are on my own YouTube channel. That's on Mondays and Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And then also Sunday morning at 9 a.m. And then all the line movement stuff going on throughout the week. Most of the shows are right after mine. But we do have a bets against the spread show on Tuesdays. We also have a show directly before Thursday Night Football with myself, Peter Overzet, and uh, Matt LaMarca. uh, We go through the entire slate. Also, our Sunday morning shows. uh, But the Tilt Space, that's one of the most fun shows I do. That's at 6.30 p.m. again. Uh, with Peter and also with Michael Leone. We go through all of our high-stakes teams on DraftKings, but definitely check out all the stuff we have going on at Line Movement on the written side, but also I think we have one of the best MMA teams there is out there, Uh, so check out the MMA content if you're into hockey. Uh, Nick Kiprios, we just did an interview last week with Mark Messier, with Mike Richter. Uh, Some awesome stuff going on. We have another one dropping this week uh, on the hockey side of things. Uh, I know you have a bunch of Canadian viewers, Pat, so uh, if you're into hockey, uh, come check out the Line Movement YouTube channel. You won't regret it.
1: Yeah, and if you are into hockey, do not check out Mayo Media Network because no hockey up <laughs> there. Fucking hate hockey. God,
2: you're the only Canadian I know that doesn't like hockey. Pat, what's uh, the deal?
1: Hockey's the worst, man. I know you were a college player, but fuck, man, it's so boring.
2: You don't I mean, live you got, in. You ca- got your golf stuff going on, man. Yeah. We can't, we can't just, we can't just do golf and football, man. We got to have something weird in there too. I know you guys do a ton of MMA stuff, so I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you guys will be in on that.
1: Oh yeah, check out the Dogger Pass podcast. As always, the you know the the number one. I I looked it up. It is the number one MMA picks podcast there is. So everyone should go check out the MMA. That's on Mayo Media Network as well. let's jump into the week 12 waiver wire starting with the running back position kicking it off with the injuries rex burkhead looks like he may have torn his acl Uh, he was carted off the field against the texans he's probably done for the year no official report as of the time of this recording additionally if you're looking for updates on injuries or the pickup rankings if something major changes go to the description of this video or podcast and you can find the link to my waiver wire pickup column that is on dkplaybook.com i update it every 12 hours or so uh, with a timestamp of when the last time it was updated so you can just follow along with that if you just want to check back in on you know tuesday evening it's not like you can submit waiver claims right now uh the only thing i would say is if in your league if teams are on bye week you can still pick them up go pick up the giants defense right now they get fit finley and cincinnati next week um not a bad spot to be in and if somehow the browns are still available they have the best playoff schedule against the jets and giants so that's another Place where you can go and find some value. Obviously, you can't go pick up the Browns right now, just immediately. You're going to have to pick them up on waivers, but I believe they're still available in like 35% of leagues that they need to be, especially coming off a bad or great week on defense, that everyone's going to go pick them up anyway. Uh, so there might be a bit of competition worth paying for, though. Um, just as Jets and Giants week 15 and 16, that could win you a fantasy championship. You don't think of defenses that way, but that's very much on the table for them. So Rex Burkhead, he's probably gone. We'll talk about the pickups in a second. LaMichael Pirine exited the game with a knee injury for the Jets, which just means more Frank Gore and Ty Johnson. Fun times, you don't want either of those losers. DeAndre Swift missed the week with a concussion, as did like half of Detroit's roster. I I would assume he would pass concussion protocol to play on Thursday, that's no guarantee. But that would at least be my assumption when I do the ranking show with Jake on Tuesday unless other can Counter reports have come out that he will be in those rankings. That is a very nice matchup for him against the Texans, one of the worst run defenses in the league. Christian McCaffrey may return this week. David Montgomery, coming off by in his concussion, may return this week. Miles Gaskin is still technically on injured reserve, but he is eligible to return in week 12. So don't go spending all your fad bucks on Ahmed right now. I would expect Miles Gaskin to return to his primary role in this backfield, even with Tua going back in. It's against the Jets. It's not a bad situation to be in, so Miles Gaskin, if he was dropped, be on the lookout. He still owned in like 85% of leagues, but you never know if he's still out there. You can go pick him up. Austin Eckler could come back this week as well for the Chargers. They're at the Bills. Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert, both eligible to return coming off bye week off injured reserve for the San Francisco 49ers. Jamichael Hasty is on injured reserve with that broken collarbone. Chris Carson was very close to playing last Thursday. They don't play until Monday this week, so saturday will be the telling day for chris carson but i would expect him to return uh, and re-establish himself as the lead back carlos side obviously got the majority of the workload on thursday evening but Car- chris carson's going to be the guy when it comes down to that joe mixon was placed on injured reserve so two more weeks of geo at least justin jackson on injured reserve david johnson on injured reserve devonta freeman on injured reserve um, and that's it for the running back position so pickups for the week i'm um, just sticking with who i had last week although he was on by wayne Gulman appears like he's the dude in the backfield for the giants i like get cincinnati this week that's a very good matchup for them and they play the nfc east kind of going out not uh, exclusively going out but they have a lot of soft matchups coming up you know Gulman's not great but if he's going to get 15 to 20 touches a game that's a start a bull ish type running back in a season where running back has been kind of devoid of a lot of consistency he'll likely never be more than running back 17 in any sort of week but flex play running back two low end that's what you're looking for from Wayne Gallman that's worth being the number one pickup right now with everyone else on this list Damian Harris is probably a guy you can go pick up as well he continues to establish himself on the ground. That role seems to be very secure. I'm curious to see what happens with Sony Michelle once he ends up coming back officially and is active he's off injured reserve the Patriots activated him but he was not active for the game they had to do that to make sure that he didn't have to sit out the entire season so we're not even sure what his timeline is for actually returning to the field right now but it does seem like Damian Harris has established himself as the guy on the ground problem is if he's not going to rush for over 100 yards the touchdowns although he scored one against Houston in the best matchup you can have they're going to be kind of fickle week to week as Cam Newton's going to steal some, you know, that like some random jabroni you've never heard of is going to steal one. And now James White is probably going to have a larger role with Rex Burkhead on the sidelines probably for the rest of the season. That Not to say that James White is going to steal his touchdowns, but he could steal some opportunity if Harris was going to be used at all in the receiving game. But without Rex Burkhead, that is a positive in the direction of Damian Harris. So he's number two in the rankings. J.K. Dobbins is number three. I actually don't, I went and searched uh, my fantasy teams for the year. I don't own any Ravens anywhere, uh, which is turning out to be a great thing because they're wildly inconsistent. Dobbins ended up playing the most snaps of all the Baltimore running backs. Obviously he scored the receiving touchdown or he scored the rushing touchdown and ended up... uh, Punching in a two-point conversion on that really nice, like misdirection pass play that they had. Dobbins played 63% of the snaps. That is a high for the season. I don't know if that's going to persist. He would be the Baltimore running back to play every single week, but where they're still in a four-headed backfield. Although Harbaugh came out today and said that they're basically phasing. Mark Ingram, that awful Mark Ingram. It's finally happening uh, out of the offense right now. But, like, Justice Hill is getting snaps. He had more snaps than Ingram is. Just across the board, Dobbins ended up playing... Where is he here? Dobbins, 64% of snaps. Gus Edwards, 21%. Mark Ingram, 8%. Justice Hill, around 10%. That There's just so many people there that you never know week to week that they're going to have to score a touchdown in order to be fantasy viable. And that's just not really a situation you want to get yourself into. Look at the Colts' backfield. Like, every single week, it's someone different. You can't trust any of them and now as we're inching towards the fantasy playoffs is it worth the upside to put in jk dobbins who could score you 25 points i guess it depends on your situation if you are a huge underdog or you're one of those teams that hasn't scored a lot of points but you're getting into the playoffs anyway like you're the luxack team of the year you might have to take a shot on someone like dobbins and try to play for that upside knowing that you're probably going to lose anyway that you know live it yolo life that you have to play for the biggest ceiling games possible. If you have a chance to beat one of the better teams that you're going up against in the fantasy playoffs. But if you're like an established team, you don't want anything to do with a lot of these mixed backfields where again, each week it could be someone completely different. Number four, Jamal Williams who played almost as many snaps as Aaron Jones. Once again, James White at number five, Zach Moss coming off the bye week at number six, Philip Lindsay, I mean, how many times can Melvin Gordon, Melvin Gordon actually looked pretty good against Miami, and he scored the two touchdowns, should have had a third, but fumbled on the one-yard line. He has crippling fumble, fumbling issues, just like me, fumbling my words. Not even half as bad as the fumbling issues on the field that Melvin Gordon has right now. Lindsey actually looked quite spry in that game, too. So, again, this is only a situation where, if Melvin Gordon gets hurt, you would actually play Philip Lindsey. But, again, it's the same time here where you don't need a running back, I guess you can pick up like a handcuff running back who could have a larger role moving forward. You don't need a wide receiver six anymore. You just don't. Uh, Malcolm Brown, Carlos Hyde, Cam Akers, Salvon Ahmed, Matt Breda, and Adrian Peterson are the full extent of the rankings for running back immediate pickups for handcuff rankings. I have Jamal Williams at number one, Latavius Murray at number two, Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard, Devonte Booker, Boston Scott, Carlos Hyde, Salvon Ahmed, and Dante Foreman round out the top nine right now if you're just looking for people to go pick up to stash on your bench in case an injury happens during the fantasy playoffs these are all guys that i think that you could pretty comfortably use maybe not foreman because uh, mcnichols continues to outsnap him but just the, the role that he had been used in the past three weeks leads me to believe that mcnichols role would probably remain relatively unchanged maybe a little bit of an expansion but foreman would be the one to come in to take the quote unquote derrick henry role moving forward and we've seen with Ahmed that if gaskin isn't there he's going to be the guy So that's good information to have moving forward. And if Gaskin comes back, expect him to be dropped in a lot of formats that you can go pick him up for free, stash him on the back end of your bench if you're just looking to load up on these guys. Like Again, bench spots this time of year are so important. The buys are over. You don't need to hang on to those periphery pieces that you're just never going to use objectively, that you're better off having one of these guys on your team in case the worst happens to the guys sitting in front of them and you can actually plug those guys into your roster because they're top 10 plays or top 15 plays, usable fantasy pieces. You're trying to maximize the upside of your roster. That's why carrying two defenses, three defenses, four handcuffs, whatever it might, whatever you have room for on your bench is the best way to attack your fantasy roster going into the fantasy playoffs. Snap shares overall for the week at running back. Delvin Cook led the way in terms of percentage. He was the high for the week at 80. Duke Johnson was up over 90 percent the week before Connor was around 90 percent as well no one above Delvin Cook at 80 percent this week that is 61 total snaps Madison played eight percent for reference Derek Henry was second after that at 79 percent Malcolm Perry for the Dolphins they're using a lot of two running back sets fullback sets 79 percent but it was Salvin Ahmed playing 67 percent of the snaps as the featured back he actually missed time in that game too with an injury ended up returning so it's very clear that he is the guy they do not want to play Matt Breda apparently don't understand what the point of trading for Matt Breda was at the beginning of the year turns out they don't like him maybe he's not very good maybe Ahmed's great I don't know but Gaskin's gonna be the guy when he comes back so Gaskin is the one that you want and it could be as soon as this week Duke Johnson led the way with the Texans 77 percent of snaps turns out he's just not good as a lead running back David Johnson will get that job back the moment he is eligible to return from injured reserve not that he's good either but he's like a the 20th best running back in fantasy when it all comes down to it. Josh Jacobs, 74%. Devontae Booker, 26% with no Jalen Rashard around. Again, Booker continues to have a role every single week in this offense. If something was to happen to Josh Jacobs, Booker would be a very valuable fantasy asset, especially if Rashard has continued to be sidelined that he might be able to pick up like two, three catches per game consistently where we don't see that with Jacobs. Some weeks it's four, some weeks it's none. Most weeks it's one or two, maybe. Just being on the field that much that Booker could actually be a very useful fantasy asset. I'd never thought I'd say that again. And he was the pass catching back in Denver for years when he was the guy. Uh, that was his only role. So now that they're using him on the ground a little bit, we know that he does have pass catching prowess. It does lead to some upside. Mike Davis around seventy three percent, expected to stay above seventy percent as long as Christian McCaffrey is out with that shoulder injury. McCaffrey could end up returning this week though. James Robinson over a thousand combined total yards in ten games. It's a really impressive rookie season. Even almost got to hundred yards. A Against Pittsburgh, like he's a must-start every single week. Maybe not on DraftKings because he does lack that proper upside. But for your season-long team, he's a top ten running back. He just is the consistency that he brings, playing over seventy percent of the snaps. Once again, it's kind of crazy. Carry on Johnson played seventy percent of snaps to Adrian Peterson's thirty percent against the Panthers. I think that was a game flow issue. I mean, the Lions obviously didn't score any points, which is just alarming if you're a Lions fan. They were missing a ton of guys, but it's not like the Panthers defense is very good. But where they got down early, they put on the guy who is a better pass protector, a best, better pass catcher. If the Lions were to, let's say, jump up in game, let's say Swift doesn't play this week and it's Peterson and carry on once again. The lean is going to be towards carry on because they're going to look at the split 70 to 30. Obviously, it's carry on, but you can run so well on the ground with Adrian Peterson and against the Texans, that would actually swing back to Adrian Peterson in that regard. Now, if, if Swift plays, Swift is very clearly the only one you would even want to consider here. Uh, but as long as you think that the Lions can keep this close against the Texans at home, and the spread is within a field goal, so it should be a relatively competitive game. If Vegas knows what they're doing here, they don't always know, but most of the time, they're pretty dead on with this stuff. That I could see Peterson getting his way to around 15 carries on the ground, which could be very valuable against the Texans in that matchup. Other ones to pay attention to uh, even though Caelan Balazs got like hurt early in the game ended up coming back in and playing 66% of the snaps Troy Main Pope played more than Joshua Kelly for the love of God Austin Eckler please just be healthy and come back that would be such a huge boon for the fantasy playoffs for anyone who held on to him or bought low on him over the past few weeks like it's very clear that he's not coming back until he's 100% healthy after being out this long that the moment he is back get him into your lives I don't care who the opponent is going to be with the way that Herbert checks down. Down to his running backs, unlike Tyrod, which we saw in Week One, uh, he has the potential to be a top five fantasy running back the rest of the season in that offense. So watch out for Austin Eckler. Gio played just over fifty percent. Samaje Pirine played just under forty. You're gonna have to downgrade Gio just because Joe Burrow is out for the season. You don't want much to do with Fit Finley in this regard. Uh, although he does love targeting T. Higgins uh, after coming into the game, four, I believe, his ten passes went in T. Higgins' direction. They weren't overly catchable, but it's nice that he's looking for him. That's a bonus. Other ones, Miles Sanders played 61%. That offense is just broken at the moment. McKissick and Antonio Gibson just playing a lot of two running back sets. Both played over 50% of the snaps. Frank Gore played 56%. Ty Johnson played 24% to P. Ryan's 20 after he left the game. Other than that, it's uh, pretty clear across the board. Gurley was a concerning one, that if Atlanta does get down in games, Brian Hill played 41% of the snaps to Todd Gurley's 39%. So in negative game scripts, which if Julio Jones misses time, you're going to see a lot of because their offense sucks whenever Julio Jones isn't on the field, that Brian Hill um, is going to likely see at least probably a split and do some damage in the passing game over Todd Gurley. So I'd be very concerned if I was relying on Todd Gurley. You got to skate by for weeks with him just putting in a a greasy touchdown, saving his week every single time. When that doesn't happen, he's fucking useless. So uh, watch out for that. Uh, Kamara, 51% of the snaps. Latavius Murray, 47%. I can see that going forward. Uh, You actually have to downgrade downgrade Kamara a little bit, just because Taysom doesn't check down to running backs all that often he's going to call his own number near the goal line and he's going to steal like five to ten carries per game by himself that it would make him not really in contention to be the number one fantasy running back in any sort of week it's not like you're sitting elvin kamara but like instead of being number one or two with like a lock every single week he'd be like four five or six where he came into the season as uh, to be perfectly honest with you because i'm just trying to think McCaffrey, if he plays would be ahead of him Dalvin cook obviously Maybe it's just those two. Derrick Henry, I would probably start over him if Kamara is not gonna get as involved in the passing game uh, as he's been. Yeah. He's going to be like, yeah, four, five, six. Zeke actually showed some life, so maybe he can go back up. Uh, he played 70% of the snaps to Tony Pollard's 30%. But that's enough about them. Let's talk about wide receivers for the week. Juju slipped on a penalty flag and hurt his toe. No word yet if he's going to be available in the Thursday night evening game against the Ravens that would open up James Washington and or Ray Ray McLeod for a DraftKings purposes. You're not going to pick up those guys for season-long purposes just as the spots are Without any bye weeks, uh, there's going to be ample opportunity to go pick up losers to put in your lineup that you can probably find better options than James Washington. On DraftKings, where he is the minimum price player, then all of a sudden it's a different conversation. We're having two conversations here. Julio Jones hurt his hamstring, left the game, went to the blue tent, probably had a piss or something. I don't know what goes on in there. And then he came back into the game, actually made a really nice catch for little to no reason, because the Falcons weren't coming back, and then re-hurt his hamstring. Hamstring injuries have been two to three weeks absences They're calling it cramping. I don't know if it's torn. What's going on? I wouldn't expect Julio for two weeks at this point, which means everyone in the Falcons offense is going to be god-awful. So, not great news for Julio Jones. Kenny Stills hurt his leg. He is questionable for the Thursday game against the Lions. Randall Cobb injured his leg also on his touchdown catch. He's not going to play. That looked really bad. Danny Amendola and Kenny Galladay both missed Week 11. Not sure about Week 12 with the two of them. John Brown hurt his ankle before the bye week he should be okay this week uh for buffalo so just pay attention to that moving forward sammy Watkins missed his fifth straight game he should be back but i thought he'd be back in the sunday night game fortunately good, good looking out on the chiefs for letting us know that on saturday so we didn't have to be like oh we're gonna play sammy Watkins or demarcus robinson because you know, when sammy Watkins goes out demarcus robinson's actually a pretty decent play despite the fact that you know sometimes he runs wrong routes but because Hardman had been just activated from the COVID list. He was basically useless in that game. There was a lot of run for Demarcus Robinson. We'll see how that goes moving forward. Hump Daddy, Adam Humphries didn't play again. Wouldn't expect him back anytime soon yet. Preston Williams, Julian Edelman on injured reserve. Debo Samuel eligible to return, probably will return in week 12. And you'll notice him near the very top of the wide receiver pickup rankings. I have Michael Pittman at number one in the rankings. Just go pick him up. Go pick up Debo. He's at number two. Darius Slayton was dropped on the bye week. Go pick him up as well. Corey Davis, yeah, I don't think anyone's ever comfortable starting Corey Davis just because he's Corey Davis. But he's having like the Devonte Parker year from last year, not quite as good. But if you've just been playing Corey Davis every week, you've been winning weeks. So he's number four in the pickup. I still don't trust the guy at all but he continues to perform it's like it's like Nelson Aguilar in that regard he keeps having these good weeks but every time that you insert him into your lineup I guarantee you he scores like zero points because that's what these type of guys do but it's been far more consistent for Corey Davis Cole Beasley at number five Cole Pat or Tim Patrick sorry Cole Beasley at number five Tim Patrick at number six Alan Lazard Jacoby Myers Josh Reynolds Jalen Rager KJ Hamler, Marcus Valdez, Scantling, Demir Bird, Sammy Watkins, Jakeem Grant, Denzel, Mimse are the wide receiver pickups. You probably don't need most of these guys. I'd say Pittman, Samuel, Slayton, those three you probably do need to roster. The rest of them for deeper leagues, injuries, whatever may have you. You can use the rest of the pickups for that. But those three, I think, need to be rostered because you can start those guys on a weekly basis. Tight end injuries. Greg Olson injured himself in the Thursday night contest. It's his foot, plant- plantar fasciitis. He is going to be out four to six weeks that does open up room for either will disley or jacob hollister i would bet it would be disley and just pieces of this passing game are valuable but until you actually know there are likely better pickups that you can go make at the tight end position johnny smith injured his ankle no word yet on what his week 12 status is going to be darnell daniels for the cards ended up missing the game but max williams was back and my guy tarzan dan hudson not hudson tarzan dan arnold hey arnold Caught a touchdown in that game, but he didn't really do much outside of that. So you don't want any Cardinals tight ends. There's no throw to tight ends. Zach Ertz eligible to return this week for the Eagles. Not sure whether or not he will, but he is eligible to to return. And George Kittle is still on injured reserve. He could come back this season, although it is looking more and more unlikely by the week. So pickups, because Kittle's not back. Jordan Reed, number one as long as he's healthy the guy puts in fantasy work and you know I guess maybe with Debo back maybe his role is lessened a little bit but still when you just take a run through the tight ends who were available it's it's not a great scene Jordan Reed Dallas Goddard Logan Thomas only Goddard if Ertz misses another week actually he's been pretty good the past two weeks Jimmy Graham at number four Dalton Schultz Trey Burton Mike Gesicki Eric Ebron and Robert Tunyon the full pickup list quarterback streams for the week, you got Daniel Jones at Cincinnati, Derek Carr at Atlanta, Teddy Bridgewater, who I would expect to return at Minnesota, Alex Smith at Dallas on Thanksgiving Day, Philip Rivers, Tua Who's going to start? And he gets the Jets. It's a get right spot for old Tua and Baker Mayfield at Jacksonville. The full extent of the injury as a quarterback obviously, Joe Burrow was out for the season with a torn ACL. Kyler Murray dinged up his shoulder, uh, an AC joint. A lot of AC joints this year. Say, apparently, Sam Darnold's the only one who can't play through it, but Kyler Murray expected to play this week, so you could probably get him back in at New England. Nick Foles. It looked like he was, like, done for the season, but apparently he might play this week for the Bears. So it's him and Trubisky, who's eligible to return as well, just pay attention to who ends up getting the start there. Drew Brees on injured reserve, so he's out at least another two weeks. Teddy Bridgewater did not play. P.J. Walker looked all right, unless he was in the red zone near the goal line, and then he started throwing it to the other team. Either way, he was all right. he was okay. Teddy B will be better, and he was so close to playing this week that you'd almost... Have to assume he's going to be back for Week 12. Kyle Allen, Sam Darnold, Darnold could be back next week. Allen, I don't know when he's going to be back. No one really cares anyway. Garoppolo and Minshew probably not going to play again. Minshew actually could be back. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be. Like Jimmy Garoppolo could get cut. He could get traded. It uh, looks like they might be going in a different direction. Make the Super Bowl to cut the next year. Tough go for old Jimmy G. Streaming defenses for the week. I mentioned Cleveland as the pickup for the playoffs. I went through all of the best schedules in last week's waiver wire show. You can rewind to that if you would like, but the Giants are the number one pickup with a bullet. They have a, they had a bye week. They're coming out of their bye, so They could be eligible to pick up right now. Looking forward. So if you play in a league where uh, bi-week teams do not go on waivers, just go pick up the Giants for free right now if someone else has not already in your league. If not then, you can use them on the waiver wire. New Orleans, Washington, Las Vegas, the Cardinals against the Patriots, Green Bay against Chicago, Seattle on Monday evening, and San Francisco against the LA Rams. Not a great stream, but I listed eight anyway. Those are the eight in order. You can check out the full report in the rankings uh, when those come out on Tuesday. That will do it and the Pat Mayo experience. The Listeners League link will be up a little bit later on. You can check out the Thanksgiving DraftKings show with Joel Holka a little bit later on on Monday evening, I think that's when it'll be out, Monday evening. And then the the spread pick show Tuesday morning, ranking show Tuesday afternoon, rest of the spread pick show on Wednesday. We've got a lot coming out. We might even go live on Thursday morning for any last second questions on Mayo Media Network. So please go subscribe to the channel right now. Smash the like button for the video. And if you do have a question about week 12 or your team moving forward, leave that in the comment section. I will get back to you. The updated rankings will be in the description of this video and podcast. You can check that out on DK playbook as well. And if you're looking for player projections for the week or on monday evening go to ftn fantasy or ftndaily.com whether you're a season-long player whether you're a daily player that's how you can distinguish between the sites awesome tools up there right now you can check out all the free ones if you want the premium ones use code mayo get yourself a discount and fun fact it's already heavily discount because we are into week 12. happy thanksgiving everyone i will see you later on this week i'm pat mayo i'll see you next time
3: mypatriotsupply.com